just a moment of personal privilege. I'm glad to have my sister and my nephew and nieces here today from Georgia visiting. Hope you'll get a chance to tell them hi. Genesis 1, verses 14 to 25. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the, dark, of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Let's pray. Father, open the eyes of our hearts that we would see wonderful things from your word. We pray that your word would find its mark today. Use your word to speak to our hearts, to instruct and build us up, and give us ears to hear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, in the first three days of creation that we looked at, really over the last two weeks, we kind of broke it up. Building the house was the analogy that we set out, that God was setting up the framework for the house that He would then build. And today we see that He begins to fill that house. We saw on day one that He created light itself. He established day and night that on the second day he created the atmosphere, he separated the waters below from the waters above, made the earth habitable. On the third day, God separated the dry land from the seas, and he filled the land with vegetation. And so now the house is ready for the filling, and that's what we see in, verses, or in days uh, 4 to 6 and verses 14 to 25. Next week we'll continue, that's why this is part 1, we're going conti- to continue moving through the text Uh, to see that day six continues, that it continues to the creation of man and woman, that this was indeed the climax of creation. And so it's good to keep in mind that all this creation account is building to that end, that the goal of God's creation was putting a special uh, creation in the garden, uh, Adam and Eve, to give rule and dominion made in his image for his purpose. I want us also to keep in mind that the goal, uh, understanding with the the, the reason for God doing this uh, was that he would mark out his image on his creation that we would know him, love him, and worship him. We continue to talk about that as we work through creation, that we were made set apart for that reason. Another thing that I think would be helpful to keep in mind is that there's a correlation between the days of creation. 
On the first day, God created light itself. There were no bodies of light. He simply created light itself. And on day four, he creates the bodies of light, the sun and the moon and stars, and that's what we'll look at today. So days one and four correlate. On day two, God created the atmosphere, the sky above, separating it from the waters beneath. And today, he fills the skies with the birds of the air, and he fills the waters with the swimming creatures. So a correlation between day two and day five. And the same correlation exists between day three and day six. On day three, he separated the dry land from the waters, filling the earth with vegetation. And today, he fills the dry land with the beasts of the field and eventually with man and woman. So keep in mind that correlation as well. A final thing that I want us to keep in mind as we continue to move through the creation account is God's plan. God's plan of redemption. That God created to put a plan into place to redeem a people for himself, for his glory. Creation is interesting in and of itself. It's fascinating. We want to know where we come from. You can see all the advertisements on television about DNA results and people discovering that because they're 2% a certain ethnicity that they now want to uh, adopt the dress and culture and, and so forth of that. We want to know where we came from. Genesis is interesting to know where we came from. But it is truly meaningful when we understand the purpose of creation was to showcase the grace of God in the story of redemption. And I can think of no better opening, explanation, announcement, theme, passage than this from Ephesians 1. Not only for our passage today, but really for the book of Genesis and frankly for the entire Bible. This is kind of a good summary statement for what God accomplishes through the written word. In Ephesians 1, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved, Jesus. In Him... We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them to unite all things in Christ at the fullness of time to the praise of His glorious grace. That's, that's it in a nutshell. That's why we've got Genesis. That's why we've got Scripture is to show us this is God's big plan. And so let's keep that in mind now as we look at something that may seem a little monotonous. Days 4, 5, and 6. Really, couldn't you just get up there and say, God made all the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the animals on the land and we could you know, beat the Methodists to the Piccadilly. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? Let's look. In verse 14, we see again this pattern of creation throughout all of the days. And God said, let there be, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. Here God sets in place the bodies of light, the sun and the moon and the stars. And did you notice that Moses doesn't mention them by name? He doesn't call them the sun and the moon and the stars. He calls them the greater light and the lesser light. And then stars were just a general phrase that it looks almost like they're just tacked on. 
which is fascinating in and of itself. I think there's a strong argument here that Moses is doing this as a polemic against the pagan ideology, the tendency that man has always had and will always have to worship creation rather than the creator. And that's certainly what the people of God had witnessed in Egypt, and it's what they had witnessed as they came into Canaan, that this was this pagan ideology that turned everything that had been created into something to be worshipped. And Genesis is written to steer them away from that thinking of worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And God is making it clear that he not only made everything, but he is sovereign over everything he made to accomplish his purpose. And they remain under his sovereign hand to that purpose. The purpose for these bodies of light, he explains. They're mentioned here in verse 14 and following. Three things, to separate day from night, light from darkness to begin or, or to, 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 uh, to show the signs for the seasons and the time and to give light upon the earth. The bodies of light were created to separate day from night, to rule over the day, rule over the night. The thrust of this is that the sun and the moon and the stars are not to be worshipped like their neighbors are worshipping them. We may not feel the temptation to worship the sun and the moon and the stars, but there can be some things that trip us up in here. Because sometimes we don't worship the sun, but we worship the benefits of the sun. Sometimes we don't worship the moon, but we may worship the benefits of the moon. And what I'm saying is sometimes we can kind of tease ourselves into thinking that because we don't call it uh, by the same pagan names, that we don't fall prey to becoming distracted or led astray in our worship. We live in an area that most people this morning are out worshiping the benefits of the sun, aren't they? You know, it's living for, there's pleasure to be found. It's it's beautiful. You know, we we could all go out there now and enjoy it. It's It's a gorgeous day. It's easy to see why people are captivated. You go out at night and you look up at the sky and it's captivating. Those clear, especially in the winter, the sky's a little clearer and you can see more. You understand why people would be led in this way. We went out for the last supermoon rise, went out to the beach to watch it rise, and guess what? There were a lot of people out there to watch the super. How many moons rise? You know, one, we get a full moon once a month, and yet we hear of a supermoon and we descend on the beach. Why? It's, it's still amazing. Even all that we know about the, the, the lights themselves, the space itself, we still find ourselves amazed. But the design of these things were to draw us into to worship of the Creator, not the creation. And for this reason, Moses doesn't even mention their names because their names were objects of worship in Egypt and in these pagan cultures. He refers instead to the greater and lesser lights, and then, as I mentioned, he just kind of tacks the stars on there. In other words, look, be in awe, be amazed, but look beyond them to the one who made them and holds them in the palm of his hand. And he gave them with purpose to rule over the day and night, to separate light from darkness, also to mark time, to mark seasons. We know that the earth's axis tilts back and forth, so the sun's position changes in the sky, and we get seasons from that. And even those 
in, in the day of Moses were observing things that were changing every year. There was a rhythm to life. The sun has a certain power over us. We, we need the sun. We need the sun not only to grow plants for food and so forth, we need the sun for our bodies. Several of us in our family have recently learned this, that when you go and they draw blood and you have a vitamin D deficiency, it's because you're not absorbing enough sunlight. And so I wish they would say, here's a prescription for the beach, but instead they give you a supplement that you take through your mouth. Plants need the sunlight for photosynthesis to grow. Uh, We understand the moon has power over the tides. We see the the stars governing the night in the sense that they set forth a a standard or a a presence by which people have navigated throughout uh, centuries uh, by the sun, or by the stars rather, on land and on sea. They are given to us, they're for our benefit, but they're to accomplish God's purposes, and we have to keep that in mind. So while they serve as a guide to seasons, while they provide reliable positions for navigation, even giving plant life and and, and life and health to our body through the benefits of those plants, they are all under the power of the one who made them. So we look to not them for guidance. We don't open the horoscopes for guidance. We don't look to the sun for our health. We look to him for our health and our guidance and our salvation and our hope beyond this life. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. On day five, in verse 20, we see the creation of the animals of the air and of the sea. Remember the correlation between day two, when God separated the waters above from the waters beneath, and now he fills those spaces on this day five. These are the first animate creatures that God's created. He's already made plant life, but the Jews didn't consider that a vegetation really a living being. So these are the first living beings. And one unique aspect of this part of creation is that God adds his blessing directly after this creation. In verse 22, God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. The blessing was that they would indeed multiply and fill the earth. They would provide not only food for mankind, but they would provide clothing, medicines, and other resources. And there's really no spiritual value in mentioning this, but I think it's interesting to consider how they have inspired creativity and invention. That even today, airplane development still takes its cues from studying nature and how birds fly to develop planes that are more efficient and fly further and burn less fuel. Same thing with ship and submarine design. All follow patterns that we observe in nature. And so while that may not uh, necessarily be something that encourages uh, our hearts in terms of our spiritual growth, it is something to consider when we think of an all-wise God who still instructs us through his created order, even though it's been around for a long, long time. We're still learning. We're still learning about him. And the whole design of this is to get us not to have faster planes and better ships, but to see the one who made it all, to see the creator. Even beyond the amazement of all of this is to see his rule and reign over creation. Again, Moses is reminding the people not to fear the threats of their neighbors, those threats whereby they were going to call down the sun god or the moon god or the god of the sea or all of the things that they worshipped. The people of Israel, they'd been through a lot. They had seen the power of God. And even this generation, 
They had heard all of the stories, and yet the temptation there was to forget it all and to be concerned when the threats were lobbed at them from their neighbors. God wants his people not to fear man or to fear nature, but to trust him who rules over all of these things because he made all of these things and indeed the entire heavens and the earth. And there was evening and there was morning on the fifth day. We come to day six. Again, the correlation between the third day separating land from sea and, the, and filling the earth with vegetation. And now on the sixth day, he begins to fill the earth. And we'll continue on day six next week looking at the creation of man. But in verse 24, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. There's three categories. The ESV uses livestock creeping, livestock, creeping things and beasts. Your translation may use something different. The idea was that it was to encompass all of the land animals, that you have domesticated animals or livestock, things that, that humans were really going to make use of and include in a domesticated sense, the small animals, including ex- insects, yes, even reptiles, uh, and then the beasts uh, were the wild animals, the ones that wouldn't be tamed. What's important for us in understanding each according to its kind and understanding each, even each of these categories is that mankind doesn't fit into these categories. Man doesn't fit into the category, even though we recognize that we're a mammal, we're not an animal. As we'll see next week, man and woman are created uniquely and separately in the image of God. And that's important for us to understand. Now, one thing that isn't here is this initial blessing that he he gave to the birds and the fish um, because God was setting up man to rule and have dominion over the, the land animals. This was his domain. And so God was going to give that command to be a blessing, to multiply and to be fruitful to man to then have dominion over those land animals to that same end. And as we see on days four and days five and day six, God saw that it was good. Each day he concludes with that message. He announces his blessing, his observation over what he's done, that it was good. Okay, so how does all that fit into our lives? What difference does that make? How does it really matter? Maybe you don't even struggle to believe that God made it all. Maybe you've, you've, you've come to terms with that for years and that's not really a struggle that you have. Maybe you aren't tempted to worship the creation or the the things that he's made rather than the creator. Maybe you feel like creation was so long ago, what does it matter? It's just what it, it is what it is. Why do we need to talk about it? Let me suggest three things, uh, all accounts from Scripture that may help us tie all this together. Uh, you remember after Jesus was crucified that his disciples had not really remembered his promise that he would rise again from the dead. And so what were they doing after his death and then even at the time of his resurrection? They were anywhere but looking for the risen Savior. In fact, the only ones who came to the grave were the women. And yet they came to embalm the body. They weren't looking for a risen Savior. And even after Jesus reveals himself to his disciples, he comes to them And remember Thomas. Thomas gets to stick his hands, his fingers into the wounds and feel and realize this is really Jesus alive, that they're still kind of in shock. They're still struggling. Rome still occupied Israel. 
Jesus, who had been with them, was now kind of coming and going. He was leaving them. I can only imagine how difficult this was for them to understand. And so given all the questions and confusions that they were working through, what did they do? John tells us in John 21, verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, the other disciples, I'm going fishing. That's what they did. I'm going fishing was his solution. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out. I'm sure there's some argument there for some ministry of fishing there. Uh, They went out and they got in the boat. And that night, how much did they catch? Nothing. And so the next morning, you kind of imagine what their conversations were like. If they're anything like my conversations with myself when I'm despondent. You know, we say things to ourselves, of course I caught nothing. This is just the way things go for me. Of course everything's going wrong. This is just the way life is going. Or maybe they had some Hebrew or Aramaic catchphrase or a version of the catchphrase, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. That's a good Reformed uh, bad theology. But we act this way, don't we? We think this way. We fear this way. And while we don't know what they said, we know that they certainly struggled with the disappointments they were working through. But John goes on, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he said, and you will find some. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Don't miss the point. The point is not the fish. It's not the fish. The God who made the fish of the sea and the birds of the air sovereignly orchestrated their movements in this moment to accomplish His purpose in the lives of those He loved. The Son of God, the same one who commanded the wind and the seas to obey Him on that same body of water at another time, to be still, still holds the power over all of creation. And you, as His beloved son or daughter, mean more to Him than the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. He who spoke things into existence holds the entirety of your life in His hands. And so what you may consider a mess, He is masterfully working into a masterpiece. You can trust Him, because not only is He all-powerful, but He is good. The same God who made the fish and the birds is the same God who set the lights in the sky to mark the day, to mark the night. And the pattern is such that we live by it. To this day, we set our watches by it. We follow this pattern. We make plans according to these patterns. The sun and the stars and the moon all move in a reliable pattern. And yet God governed the lights of the sky some 2,000 years ago to bring a bright light to lead three wise men to find the newborn Messiah. We don't know whether it was a star or a planet or a comet, but whatever it was, the Creator orchestrated the celestial lights to accomplish His purpose. In Matthew 2, we read, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And the same God who spoke those stars into existence, who holds all things in the power of His hand, is not limited in any way of leading you to fall at the feet of Jesus and worship Him. 
And that wasn't the only example, was it? At the crucifixion, what happened to the lights of the sky? Didn't darkness fall over the land for three hours just before Jesus' death? Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. In both of these examples, we could say God moved heaven and earth to accomplish his purposes. And I would add to that that he rules with that same power today. So when he says that nothing can separate you from the love, that, from his love in Christ Jesus, he literally means nothing can separate you from his love. The one who holds the power over the sun and the moon and the stars holds your situation in the palm of his hand. Finally, the God who made all the land animals rules them according to his purposes as well. In 1 Samuel, we read the story of Israel's disobedience. They had been fighting against the Philistines, and the Philistines had been whooping up on them pretty good. And so they got this harebrained idea that they should take the Ark of the Covenant into battle with them, kind of like a good luck charm. Well, that was in direct disobedience to what God had told them to do, but they disobeyed anyway. And what happened was they got whooped up even worse, and the Ark was taken from them. So now Israel goes back home with their tail between their legs, and the Philistines now have the Ark of the Covenant. But things didn't work out so well for the Philistines. They discovered that everywhere the Ark went, boils and rats came with it. And they decided that they would keep moving the Ark to different cities, that maybe by chance this was a coincidence of how these boils and plague of rats continued to follow, but the pattern continued for seven months. It took them seven months to get it. The next time you're wondering why God is taking so long to accomplish something in your life, maybe you, maybe me, we need at least seven months or longer to learn something. It took them seven months to realize we got to get rid of this thing. But they were still doubtful that somehow this was just a coincidence. So they came up with another idea. And that was they would take two cows that had never been yoked and they would put a yoke on those cows. These would be nursing cows with young. So what should those cows do? They should do anything but take a yoke on their neck. They should buck that yoke off of their neck. They should do anything but walk away from their young. 1 Samuel 6, verse 7, Now then take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke, and yoke the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them, and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put it in the box at its side, the figures of gold, which you're returning to them as a guilt offering, and send it off, and let it go its way and watch. If it goes by its way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done thus this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not by his, hand that has, that by his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. Does anything happen by coincidence? We go on in the story in verse 12. Those two cows who should have done anything but what they did, the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went, They turned neither to the right nor to the left. The God who said in Genesis, let let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, rules over the animal world as he rules over everything to accomplish his plans. And just like those cows who obeyed their master, 
our Savior also came to do the will of the Father. And as we'll look in the coming weeks, He followed that same pattern. He walked without looking to the left or to the right, the road to Calvary to pay for our sins, to meet the righteous requirement of the law, to live the life that we should have lived but couldn't live because of sin. And He, with a yoke that was unjustly placed upon Him, like those two cows, went straight to the cross. You see, the story of creation is not just a story of our origins. It's the story of God's redemptive work to shine the light of the glory of His grace. He made you to know Him, to love Him, and to worship Him. And because God made everything, nothing will thwart His plans. You don't have to fix your life. In fact, you can't. You don't have to get everything right. In fact, you can't. You don't have to look for the fixes and the solutions that the world offers to this life because they don't fix or solve anything. He calls you to come by faith, trusting in the finished work of Christ to atone for your sins, that the glory of His grace might shine even brighter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, God said, or Paul wrote, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We've read that verse a number of times as we've studied Genesis. We'll probably read it again. It's a good reminder as we think of God who said, Let there be light. But let me read it again with the verse that follows it immediately. Because in our Bibles, the verse that follows it immediately is a new paragraph, and we often disconnect it and don't read it together. So let me read it again, but read them together. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's in His hands. We have this treasure, these jars of clay, these bodies that are wasting away. The treasure of the beauty of the gospel is at work. He will finish the work. He will not fail. He will complete the task that he's begun. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gracious work of salvation in our lives. We thank you for the beauty of your creation. We thank you for revealing to us the parts that we need to know that you indeed made it. You did it all by the power of your own hand, and you hold it all within your hand. Would you not only comfort us with these words, but would you instruct our hearts so that we would live in such a way as to walk by faith, assured that we don't have to fear nature or animals or threats. We don't have to fear even the culture around us or the decline in morality or whatever it is that we fear because we rest in your hand, the God who holds it all. And so I pray for those today who are truly struggling with the situation in their lives, wondering how anything good can come of this or how it will ever be resolved or ever be fixed. Lord, would you strengthen our hearts to know that you are in control, that you are sovereign and all-powerful and able to save to the uttermost. And Lord, we pray for your salvation. I pray that you would encourage us, that you would direct us, that you would empower us to live lives that please you as we go forth today. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.